Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. The audition by Robert Hur to get his own amateur neurology show on InfoWars right after Alex Jones, an audition which Mr. Hur laughingly titled Report of the Special Counsel on the Investigation into the Biden Documents. That report is no longer his. It belongs to the Department of Justice and not to him. And so the CNN report last night that Hur is in negotiations to testify to the House Judiciary Committee later this month and to provide the transcript of his interview with the president to the House Oversight Committee should be greeted by Attorney General Garland immediately with a one-word response. No. And if Garland indicates the slightest willingness to cooperate in any way with those House committees, the president should fire him on the spot and replace him with an attorney general who will abide by and apply the law. This scumbag her has already manipulated this gullible fool Garland into designing, building, and painting a platform from which her could launch a brazen, immoral, and most importantly, amazingly uninformed political hatchet job. If Garland wants to be productive during what is by now with certainty his lame duck stewardship at the Justice Department, he should formally warn Mr. Hur that his work remains under the DOJ and that having wildly violated departmental guidelines, he may not discuss it again in this lifetime on fear of being prosecuted for doing so. 
Garland should also encourage a body of former special prosecutors and prosecutors to get Robert Hur disbarred. While we are at this, the saga of but her memory, H-U-R, whoever is running NBC Universal television these days before his personal scandal gets him fired, needs to fire NBC News Chairman Cesar Conde, needs to fire NBC News President Editorial Supervising Meet the Press Rebecca Blumenstein, needs to fire NBC News Senior Vice President Politics Carrie Budoff-Brown, needs to fire Meet the Press Executive Producer David Gellis, and needs to fire Meet the Press host or stooge or greeter Kristen Welker for utter journalistic malpractice. Even Robert Herr wrote about Biden and his ghostwriter, quote, we conclude that the evidence does not establish that Mr. Biden willfully disclosed national defense information. The evidence falls short of proving that Mr. Biden did so willfully. The evidence does not show, etc., etc., etc. Kristen Welker somehow turned that into the report says the president, quote, willfully retained and disclosed classified materials, which he shared with a ghostwriter. NBC which used to have a news division, also took the phrase willfully retained and disclosed classified materials and made it into a full screen graphic placed behind Kristen Welker as she dramatically read her lie. The part about evidence does not establish that Mr. Biden did that or anything like it, that has been somehow left out of the graphic and replaced by an ellipsis. Three little dots. It's not a big difference. It's just you being found not guilty by a jury and NBC and Meet the Press and the remarkably incompetent Ms. Welker deciding to trim that quote a little bit so that, quote, not guilty becomes, quote, dot, 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 guilty. Fire Conde, fire Blumenstein, fire Brown, fire Gellis, fire Welker. Whether they are simply negligent idiots or if they actually falsified the news for their own purposes, that distinction no longer matters. The premise of news, even these days, is that when the verdict is not guilty and you report guilty, you are fired and you never work in news again. When I broke in at United Press International, then the second largest news organization in the world, I once said on a sportscast that the University of Southern California football team had beaten USC. In fact, it had beaten UCLA. The University of Southern California football team was USC. My boss, pleasantly but firmly, advised me that if I made a mistake like that again, I would be suspended. And if I did it twice, they would have to fire me. I did not make that mistake again. And to my knowledge, I have never let any mistake I have made go uncorrected. I'm now in year 45 of this. The next time Kristen Welker gets it wrong between guilty and not guilty about the president of the United States and corrects her error, it will be the first. And while we are at it, Disney chairman Robert Iger who I also know now 45 years, must fire ABC News president Kimberly Godwin and the executive producer of ABC's This Week, Brooke Brower, and its substitute host, John Carl, who are responsible for the same falsehood on that network. 
John Carl stated on Sunday that the special counsel found that President Biden willfully retained classified documents, but they declined to prosecute. In fact, even the political operative Mr. Hur stated quite clearly that while there was some evidence Biden retained documents, the evidence they found was that he did not willfully retain documents. Again, verdict, not guilty. ABC and John Carl's version of the verdict, guilty. The Supreme Court and other courts in this nation have collapsed under their own weight. One political party is corrupt beyond redemption. The Justice Department has withered with fear of doing what it is supposed to do. Individual states might as well be sawed off from the continent. The presidency has been permanently stained by Trump and might not last the decade. There is not much we civilians can do about any of that individually, but refusing to consume programming by NBC until it fires Chairman Conde and Welker and the rest, and by ABC until it fires President Godwin and Carl and the rest, that is a simple matter of watching something else more journalistic and more honest somewhere else on television. Something like Bugs Bunny cartoons. ABC News and NBC News misreporting the already bastardized Her report was part of the worst weekend for the dying remnants of our scattershot news industry since Hillary Clinton's emails. There's a lot of hand-wringing about newspapers laying off reporters by the hundreds and other news organizations going out of business, and I am as far from unempathetic about this as possible. United Press International went under. My second employers went under. Current TV went under. One thing left out of those nightmares is the part played by the fact that often reporting, writing, editing, and especially editorial decision-making now sucks. As the website Popular Information notes, between last Wednesday and last Saturday, just the New York Times published 33 stories about the alleged memory issues of President Biden, and not one of them mentioned that the man who put them in that report is barely a lawyer, let alone a neurologist, or a memory loss scientist, or in any way, shape, or form qualified to formally assess anybody's memory, including his own. 30 stories about this. 33 in the Washington Post in the same span. 18 more in the Wall Street Journal. 81 in four days, all told. When Trump in real time called Nancy Pelosi Nikki Haley repeatedly and insisted Nikki Haley was in charge of security at the Capitol on January 6th, the same three papers wrote 15 stories. Four were in the New York Times. Three of them mentioned only that Haley was using what was in reality Trump's live mental disaster as an attack line against him. No evaluation of Trump, just horse race. Yesterday, while not the first to do something like this, Politico posted a 1,400-word article titled, Democrats Might Need a Plan B. Here's what it looks like. In case you missed Politico's attempt to launch a catchphrase, the article begins, So far, Democrats have vigorously avoided any discussion of a Plan B for their presidential nominee, but special counsel Robert Hur's report may have forced their hand. 
They use Plan B again later in the text. And a four-decade friend of mine went on Sleaze Weasel Bill Maher's show Friday night and described the Biden issue as Emperor's New Clothes stuff. And he said that if the president won't decline renomination, quote, he has to be shown the door. I'm leaving his name out of this because I still have hope of saving him. And when I asked him to name one actual thing or policy or issue that Joe Biden had fumbled as president, he could not. Plus, I know from experience, if you sit too close to Mar, it appears that the smug stupidity is highly contagious and hopefully the infection is temporary. So we go from hers malfeasance to the lying at NBC and ABC to bending over so far backwards you fall flat on your face at the Times and the Post and the refusal to call Trump insane and Hitlerian, but the near joy at being able to quote somebody else saying Biden has a bad memory. We didn't say that. That guy over there did. We're just quoting him. We're the news. And we go from these 10,000 thumbs on the scale of political outcomes to this is emperor's new clothes stuff and Democrats might need a plan B. Well, yeah, I guess. Just bring out that perfect candidate you've been hiding off stage to replace Biden. And since that perfect candidate would be running in a vacuum and we could, you know, transfer it from Joe to Mr. Perfect over here, we can get it done in 45 minutes, an hour tops. This will be settled by nightfall. Plan B. Emperor's new clothes. Has anybody wargamed this? Because this would not happen in a vacuum. I mean, forget for one moment the alternative candidates. And by the way, name one. Forget the realities. Name me as my friend could not one presidential policy, one presidential duty, one presidential decision that has been affected by whatever you perceive or whatever you think others perceive about the president's acuity, forget for now what motives the Republicans might have for constantly suggesting the Democrats might have to change candidates, might be about to change candidates, might have a plan B. Forget that. Forget the impossible bloodiness of the process. And forget the fact that in the next two weeks, the filing deadlines for all the Democratic primaries close in all but six states. Let's forget all that for the moment and cut to the chase. It somehow has happened. Biden is off the ballot. What happens next? What happens next is, first, Trump spends the rest of the campaign claiming he has already won. He forced Biden out. He already beat Biden. Biden is the president, and obviously Biden dropped out because he's afraid of Trump. Trump beat the president, so maybe Biden should resign now. And Trump might be nuts enough to claim that he should take over immediately, even though there's no legal way to do that. And even if he isn't that nuts, Trump immediately declares that the Democrats in the deep state are so afraid of him that they have conceded and replaced the sitting president that they're too afraid to have their sitting president run against him. They're afraid of him. They should be afraid of him, he will say. He is always right. He was right about Biden, wasn't he? He was right about the country. The country is him. He is the country. He is grateful that you have chosen him. And now he will not deport 2 million Hispanics. He'll deport 20 million Hispanics. Because he is always right. See, he was right about Biden. 
And now he'll also tell you that he is right about whoever replaced Biden. And he will insist that whoever replaces Biden is worse than Biden. And he will insist this is still just another Democrat Party dirty trick, a switcheroo. They had this planned, of course. I knew it was going to happen. They had Plan B. I read it in the papers months ago. They make a Plan B? Well, I'm going to Plan B, Trump will say. There's no reason for me to debate their Plan B guy. And, of course, it's even more clear than ever, Trump will say, that you know who made all of this happen, who made Biden drop out. I mean, besides him, you know who made this happen. God made it happen. Because Trump has been chosen by God. He'll now play that creepy QAnon music at the start of every one of his Hitler rallies, not just at the end. He'll say it at some point. We shouldn't even bother to have an election. And even in our war game, if somehow Trump does not go that nuts, he would be able to say real things. Real things that would actually be real and are startling enough. Who is now the only candidate running for president with experience, he can say. Who is the only candidate who's ever been president? How can you trust somebody without experience? Also, Biden is a lame duck. His policies must be ignored, stopped, frozen. Of course we were right to destroy the border deal. I told you so. Now we have to destroy anything else Biden tries to do to sabotage me before I regain power. Oh, by the way, obviously the Department of Justice now has to drop all those charges against me because they were just Biden campaign dirty tricks. Why? Didn't one of their own special prosecutors say he was crazy? In fact, go ahead, conduct the trials. I don't care. I won't show up. I won't be there. My lawyers won't be there. Go ahead. Try to make me. Joe Biden just dropped out. We don't have a president. Try to make me go to court. Try to testify against me. January 20th is coming. Come to think of it, he will then say, why would we let an untried rookie president with no experience control the House or the Senate? Why would we deny me the right to control the House or the Senate? You now have to vote the Democrats out of control of the Senate, Trump would say, and keep them from regaining the House. And depending on how badly the new Democrat would poll against him, Trump might even do something generous about the House and the Senate and direct late funding sprees on behalf of Republican candidates other than himself, the ones running in those races. Because the polls and the swing state polls are all over the place and there has not been reliable polling on all those better candidates hiding off stage, all those plan B and C and D and F and Q and Z that some liberals think the Democrats have in one of those containers marked in the event of emergency break glass. In November, Fox polled this, and their polling is no better or worse than anybody else's. And in November, it was Trump 50-45 over Vice President Harris. Trump 49-45 over Governor Newsom. Trump 48-46 over Governor Whitmer. 
No polling about J.B. Pritzker or Josh Shapiro or Roy Cooper or any non-politicians, and I swear to God, I had to double-check who Roy Cooper was. The best number? Trump by just 47-46 over Manchin. No, no, seriously, Joe Manchin. And if you want a real plot twist in our computer game for your post-Biden war games, consider the possibility that the candidate the Democrats turn to is not a Democrat at all. He's Joe Manchin. Because it's very nice to assume that the only problem here is how the media has portrayed President Biden and he's done a great job, but he's got to get out of the way while we pull the rabbit out of the hat. And it's Michelle Obama. First of all, she's not going to do it. And if, cue your magical thinking, that changes, well, let's go back to our war game computer, and Trump's response to that is, I told you Biden was being run by the Obamas. I didn't make any gaffes when I called Biden Obama, because I meant Michelle Obama. Deep state, deep state, rigged, fixed, witch hunt, hoax, And this will really be Barack Obama's third term, and that's unconstitutional, but it isn't unconstitutional for her and him. It shouldn't be unconstitutional for me. So waive the 25th Amendment. I'll serve three terms until I'm 86. 86 is not too old. You can tell I'm not feeble. I'm loud. And this is my wife, Nancy Pelosi. By the way, I haven't seen any actual polling on Michelle Obama's presidential campaign, which she has sworn she would never do in a million years. I haven't seen any polling on that since 2020, when 40% of independents and 78% of Republicans viewed her negatively. So now another spin of the wheel of our war game, our war game which still has not addressed the impact on the campaign of the Democrats, forcing a sitting president off the ticket by more magical thinking to make it worthwhile. We have to either convince Michelle Obama to run, and we still haven't seen enough polling to make sure that's worth the bloodbath unless you have Taylor Swift's phone number and she's tired of having fun and wants to be president. Congratulations. You have now removed the incumbent president of the United States and every drop of his name recognition and everybody who actually thinks he's done a good job and his improving economy and his status as the only candidate to defeat Trump. And in his place, your war game has given you your new nominee, Michelle Obama who you can't convince to run. And when you can't convince her to run, you have Taylor Swift, who won't run, and who the fascists have been dirtying up for the last three months just in case. Now, let's not cut to the chase and wargame this back from the beginning, from right now. It would be one thing if President Biden were to say, like today, I've done the math and I had a long talk with my wife and my family and I I think I'm not up for this and I'm not sure I can beat him and I'm withdrawing and I have my new friend over here, Stanley Plan B. That is still a mess. 
if deep sixing his drawbacks actually does increase the Democratic likelihood of retaining the White House, how much are they offset by the Trump gloating response mentioned earlier and the lame duck presidency that would follow? And then the oldest, most cynical cliche about the party actually becoming justifiable in the pages of the New York Times. Democrats in disarray. What the hell kind of instant presidential primary do you expect will follow that? Oh, we must defeat Trump. We must be unified to save the democracy and kumbaya and... <sighs> do you remember Richard Ojeda? Does the name Seth Moulton mean anything to you? Steve Bullock? John Delaney? Wayne Messam. In 2017, 2018, and 2019, the number of Democrats who said, we must defeat Trump, and when I say we, I mean me, I'm the person to do it. The number of Democrats who began presidential campaigns totaled 28, including Richard Ojeda, Seth Moulton, Steve Bullock, John Delaney, Wayne Messam, and Tulsi Gabbard and Bill Effing de Blasio. Because if Joe Biden withdrew tomorrow, or resigned the presidency tomorrow, or was forced out somehow tomorrow, and he said, I designate X as my successor, do you assume there still wouldn't be a dozen Bill de Blasios thinking, my time has come? Even a Biden-endorsed successor, even Vice President Harris, would still face a primary. Joe Biden getting out of the way for that miracle, natural, perfect candidate would go just as smooth as silk. No conflict, no disarray. Still have the primaries. Filing with signature closes March 1st in all but six states. Well, that would go well. Twelve Bill de Blasio's. And Dean Phillips swarming the nation, assaulting passersby with petition clipboards. And that, as it will quickly dawn on you, is the best case scenario in our war game for a different candidate. Because in all the other versions of this war game, the president is already or will inevitably become the official nominee. Those primaries do close to new entrants in 16 days. And the convention starts in 189 days. And some of the military ballots go out right after the convention ends. And oh, by the way, on September 20th, early voting starts in two states. And there are no mechanisms in place in this country for replacing a nominee or a presumptive nominee. And it is so shattering and labyrinthine a prospect that no party has even seriously whispered about doing it since the year 1864. So this spin of the war game ends with a contested series of primaries and a possibly violent Democratic convention and maybe litigation. And maybe you started this thinking your plan B would be Michelle Obama. <laughs> Sorry. Who would have ever thought the computer would deduce this, that it would end this way? Your 2024 Democratic presidential nominee.
Bill de Blasio. Pressing start on the war game computer one more time, we get the nightmare of all nightmares. There is a conclave in which all the leading Democratic powers in the Senate, in the House, plus Barack Obama, Michelle Obama, Nancy Pelosi, Bernie Sanders, Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, DeWitt Clinton, Gavin Newsom, Taylor Swift, they all agree and they all go into the Oval Office and they say, Mr. President, it is now unavoidable. You have to relinquish the nomination. She says she will do it. And Taylor blushes sweetly and says, the tortured president's tour. And Joe Biden laughs that marvelous laugh of his and says, no, get out. And what do you do then? Because then the mere fact that you went in and asked him to relinquish the nomination, that fact really isn't likely to remain a secret for more than four or five seconds. And when it stops being a secret, it then splits the Democratic Party in two. And let's check back on the other side of this war game. And Trump does what then? Trump now says in the first thing he's ever said in his life that is not in whole or in part a lie, Trump then says the Democratic Party is running an insurrection against the sitting president of the United States. So, at that point, you are left with the following. An incumbent president, who you yourself have just mortally wounded, who is going to be on the ballot anyway, and you have thereby handed the dictatorship of the United States to Trump by 55 to 45, 60 to 40. Or maybe you've sent half the Democratic voters to third-party candidates, and woohoo, there's a chance RFK Jr. finishes second. And for the first time since 1912, the incumbent president of the United States finishes third in a two-man race. And this is where our war game ends. Congratulations, my friend. You have nuked the United States of America as a free country. But the audience at the Bill Maher show applauded and woohooed. And on the other hand, you are now in possession of the answer to the only hypothetical I have posited here without circling back to it. The only question that I raised but had not offered an answer to. And that question was, and you now know why they have done this. That question was, what motives might the Republicans and Trump have had for constantly suggesting that the Democrats would change candidates? Also of interest, a lot of headlines. Trump goes to the Supreme Court, still insisting on presidential immunity, arguing in 234 years of American history, no president was ever prosecuted for his official acts. <laughs> well, maybe that's because none of the others were traitorous rapists. That's next. This is Countdown. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash news. That's LifeLock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. Trump legal postscripts to the news. Some headlines, some updates, some snarks, some predictions. Dateline Trumpland. Trump's lawyers beat the deadline, and not only did they file to the Supreme Court asking it to overturn the three-judge appeals panel after it took the presidential immunity filing paperwork and lit it on fire and said, oh, you want another opinion? You're also ugly. It also asked SCOTUS to have the entire district court review the case again, which the entire district court is unlikely to do because, you know, the risk of burning its fingers. If you wonder sometimes if Trump is just making up the story of having grown up in Queens and he's actually from Easter Island or Mars or somewhere, the filing includes 
a statement of well-faked pain that nobody has agreed with the history of presidential immunity thing that Trump and his lawyers made up out of thin air. It is in the filing a, quote, stunning breach of precedent and historical norms. I was looking for the footnote that read, not in this country. In 234 years of American history, no president was ever prosecuted for his official acts, nor should they be, unquote. No comment from the ghost of Gerald Ford, wondering what in the almighty F he bothered to pardon Richard Nixon for. Dateline Fort Pierce, Florida, Trump got to say howdy to his concierge judge Eileen Cannon, the former flamenco dancing and yoga correspondent of the Miami El Nuevo Herald newspaper. And I wish I were making that up. Two closed-door meetings yesterday with the defense in the classified documents case. Wonder what Kristen Welker will do with that story next week. Trump had documents stolen from him. In a secured documents facility, the defense offered its theories that it may use at trial and why it should get to see all the documents, the kinds of which Trump stole last time. Many lies were told, and we were hoping somebody kept their eye out for Trump lifting more documents and hiding them under his extra chins. It's probably time for the Department of Justice to make the motions to remove Judge Cannon. Judge Cannon recently let Trump's lawyers see evidence about threats to potential witnesses against him. In other words, she made it easier for him to arrange more threats against witnesses against him. They should remove her for not even making it look like she's not paying Trump back for having given her a job where she does not have to write stories about flamenco and yoga. And Dateline J.D. Vance's eyeliner cabinet. It started early in the day when Vance said that the bill to resume aid to Ukraine through September 2025 was in fact a long-term plot to impeach Trump in 2025 because he intends to stop sending Ukraine money. Then on his show, the Trump Jr. Hour, brought to you by Snow, the quicker picker-upper, Dondi explained that Daddy is intending to cut off the aid to Ukraine on January 20th. Between that and Trump Sr. encouraging Russia to attack American allies, we are bound by treaty to protect. This is a little reminder that returning Trump to power is like inviting Putin to invade us. Again. Okay, I brought up the sleaze weasel before. Permit me to tell you again the day in college I nearly punched Bill Maher out. And then again, 30 years later, I nearly punched Bill Maher out. The older I get, the more I regret missing such God-sent opportunities. That's next, this countdown. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park 
That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Sometime in 1985 or 1986, I saw a movie on cable called DC Cab. There was a character in it. Clearly, the actor portraying him was talented and funny. But for some reason, I felt like I knew him from somewhere, and I really didn't like him. I remember the feeling was so strong that I stuck around to watch the credits to find out who he was. His name was Bill Maher? M-A-H-E-R? Well, I had a teacher named Bill Maher, but his name had a Y in it. He was my advisor in high school. No, it wasn't him. But I knew three things. He was talented, I didn't like him, and I knew him from somewhere. This is pre-internet, of course, so no way to find out where I knew him from. Hallowell's annual film guide would be my best bet. Maybe he'd be in the new one coming out, checked calendar, just eight or nine months from now. Eventually, I found out Bill Maher was in the year ahead of mine at Cornell University. He was not at my radio station. He was not in my college. Maybe I knew him from a class somewhere. I could never nail it down. I like to say I have a photographic memory, but it's all Polaroids, and I haven't always bothered to label them. Almost everything that ever happened is stuck inside this big, empty head of mine, but often key details like who, what, when, and where are just missing never wrote him down. And honestly, in this case, it was not worth the effort. I knew I was, what was the right word? The word was aware of him when we were both in college. Occasionally, especially after I went from ESPN to MSNBC in 1997, a writer would note the coincidence of university and years and ask me about it. And I would say just that. I don't remember if he was in a class with me or I knew him somehow, but I was aware of Bill Maher. And then 22 years ago this month, November 23rd, 2000, I went on his old show, Politically Incorrect. It used to be the late night show on ABC. This was when I was doing sports for Fox in L.A., and it was an all-sports episode. Lennox Lewis, the boxer, Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, Todd Zeal, the first baseman of the New York Mets, and me from Fox Sports. When I met Bill Maher before the show, I asked him about Cornell and whether or not we ran into each other. I didn't know anybody there. I didn't see anybody. I didn't do comedy anywhere. I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't meet you. Okay, excuse me. That settles it. Except during the recording of the show, when Maher contradicted me on some point, I got angry at him. And there was no reason to get angry at him. So I dismissed the anger and I dismissed the moment, except on the way home, I kept thinking, 
I know him from school. Somehow. No matter what he says. And I know I didn't like him in school. In the next decade, Bill switched to his weekly HBO political show, and I went back and turned MSNBC into a political network, and the internet happened, so the Cornell juxtaposition became easier for reporters to stumble over. So I would tell them the same thing. I can't remember the details, but for 29 years now, I have been convinced I was aware of Bill Maher at Cornell. Finally came the day, March 20th, 2009, when they asked me to go on real time. And Bill Maher, Cornell University 78, asked me, Cornell University 79, something about colleges. And I said, well, as you know, we overlapped at Cornell. And I don't know if we met, but I was aware of you there. And he interrupted and said, no, you weren't. And I just went back and answered his question. Now, after every episode of his program, Marr has, or at least had, a little party backstage. I mean, catered with booze and with more guests than there are people in the studio audience and usually a bunch of models. Having done that show four times where they will fly you in first class and put you up for the weekend in L.A. just to do their show and there's a party, I began to suspect that like many of the guests, Bill Marr does the show just so he can have the party. Anyway, not long after it started, over comes Marr, and he's mad at me. And mind you, even if his allegation that he is 5 feet 8 is correct, I'm just under 6'4", so he's giving up a lot of height during an argument. And he starts yapping about how I should stop saying I was aware of him at Cornell, and I'm just trying to get publicity off something that never happened, and who could remember that kind of crap anyway? And he never talked to anybody in four years in college because, quote, except for the Ithaca High School students I sold drugs to, unquote. And I notice he's getting heated. And this is just triggering that core belief of mine that I was aware of him in college and I didn't like him. And now it becomes clear to me he didn't like me either. He's getting loud enough, and he's swinging his arms around now, and it looks kind of funny, but apparently it happens in the office sometimes, and this is when Scott Carter, who was the executive producer whom I definitely did know since like 1992 when he worked at Comedy Central with my friend Alan Havey, Scott Carter comes over to defuse the situation. Scott was a three-piece suit kind of guy with the thumbs tucking the vest who would call a group of men fellows, as in, say, fellows. So Scott comes over and says, say, fellows, with your Cornell alumni reunion here. And of course, this makes Bill Maher even angrier. Let me ask you something. I used to drive down from Hobart to see concerts at Cornell. Have to say, I think Cornell was the leading concert school in the nation back in our day. And now Scott starts to list who he saw in concert at Cornell. Robert Palmer and the famous Grateful Dead concert at Cornell at Barton Hall. He was there. And I say, I went to Springsteen. And Mar mumbles something about Loggins and Messina. And I know what Carter is doing here. He's diffusing. And we do a couple of rounds of who saw which Cornell concert. And finally, I say, I can top both of you comic geniuses. I saw Robert Klein in concert at Cornell. Now, it is criminal, but there's an excellent chance you may not know who Robert Klein is. Suffice to say, as prominent a comedian in the 60s, 70s, 80s as George Carlin or Richard Pryor, HBO itself was built on annual George Carlin concerts and annual Robert Klein concerts, 
and everybody else. And Robert Klein wasn't quite as deep or eternal as George Carlin, but he was really on the money during Watergate and during Reagan. So I say I saw Robert Klein in concert at Cornell, and Marr looks at me funny and not angrily and says quietly, I was at that too. I saw Robert Klein too. And I don't really register that Marr's mood has now utterly changed. He's not angry. He's confused. Well, I say, I can still top you because after that concert, I interviewed Robert Klein. Now Bill Maher starts to squint and he looks at me and he looks at Scott Carter and he looks back at me and he says, wait, I interviewed Klein after that concert too. And I'm smiling through all this and smiling and smiling and smiling. And then suddenly, simultaneously, it hits Bill Maher and me at the same moment in the same fullness of detail. And I stop smiling and I shout at Bill Maher, you! And he pulls his arms in towards his stomach and kind of bends forward at the waist and covers his face with his hands. And he says, oh, God, I'm so sorry, Jesus, it can't be. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And while the anger wells up inside me so powerfully I can almost see it in my own eyeballs, Bill Maher's concert-going producer Scott Carter is really confused. Say, fellows, did I miss something? Did I have a brief stroke or episode? And I say, Bill and I just remembered how I happened to be aware of him in school. And Mars still has got his hands over his face. And people are looking at us. And Bill is shouting apologies. And I say, you want to tell him or should I? And Mar just shakes his body no and mumbles, no, God, you do it. I can't, I can't, I can't. And it all came back to me. For years, I would tell people the story of the Robert Klein concert at Cornell University in 1978. Our radio station co-sponsored his appearance along with the Cornell Concert Commission, and in the contract, we specified that a couple of us real comedy nerds at the radio station would get to go backstage afterwards and tape a brief 10 or 15 minute interview with Robert Klein. Basically, paid, we paid him, not much, but we paid him to do an interview. And when my pal Andy Grossman and I get backstage to talk to Robert Klein and we have our two microphones and two mic stands and three tape recorders, there is this guy, this short guy, and he's yelling at the chief of the Cornell Concert Commission and he's yelling at Robert Klein's manager and he's demanding that he should get to interview Robert Klein because like Klein, this kid says he is a stand-up comedian and he publishes the Cornell Humor Magazine and he points at me and he says he should get priority over these, quote, corporate sellouts from the Cornell radio station. I hated him on sight. Oh, wait, I say to him in 1978, and he's small and he's got dirty stringy hair and he's loud. And I say, you're the publisher of the Cornell humor magazine, the Cornell widow. And he snorts and says, I wouldn't get caught dead publishing that corporate sellout Cornell widow. And so I say, Oh, so then, that means you're the publisher of the Cornell Alternative Humor Magazine, the not-so-big red or whatever it is they call it. He says, no way, they're corporate sellouts. I published this. And he pulls out a stack of mimeographed pages stapled together, and there's like a drawing on the front of a naked girl, and handwritten it says it's his comedy magazine. And I look at Robert Klein's manager, and I say, 
So it's 10 o'clock, and if you leave now while, while this idiot is screwing this up, the, the limo can still get Mr. Klein to Elaine's in the city before it closes, right? And the manager is wildly impressed. You know of Elaine's? And I said yes, and I felt like an adult. And I also said, if we give this guy five minutes of our time right now while we're setting up our tape recorders, can we still have 10 minutes with Mr. Klein? And the manager says, good plan. I like the way you think. And he points to the kid and gestures for him to come along. No, the kid shouts. I want half an hour. These corporate sellouts deserve nothing. And now I'm getting angry. I say, buddy, so far, all the corporations in the world have paid me about 100 bucks. So I threaten him. Now, mind you, I believe this is literally true. Since 1967, when I was eight years old, I have started two fist fights. Two in 55 years. I am a man of peace. I am loud, but I am a man of peace. But I say to this guy, you now have two choices, kid. Five minutes with Robert Klein, or I hit you in the face. And he runs to where Klein's manager is still gesturing towards him, and he screams, Corporate sellout! And he disappears to do his interview, and behind him he leaves his little homemade mimeograph, 10 or 12-page humor publication, and I pick it up and I read it and register it and dismiss it before I leave the building. And if I had only remembered what it said on the cover, all the years of mystery and I was aware of him and all that would never have happened because the cover of the magazine read, Bill Maher's Comedy Magazine by Bill Maher. And now, back in, well, technically this is correct, back in real time at the party in the Hollywood studio in 2009, the producer Scott Carter says nothing. And Bill Maher is still doubled over in shame. And I say... Are you satisfied that I was aware of you? And he mumbles, yes. And I say, will you ever question my memory again? And he mumbles, no. And he says, if I need him to do my show or a charity benefit or something, just call. And he says he's ashamed. And he offers me his hand to shake. And we shake. And finally I say, and, and by the way, Bill Maher of Bill Maher's Comedy Magazine by Bill Maher, are you a corporate sellout? And he says, Kinda. And that's how I was aware of Bill Maher in college. I've done all the damage I can do here. Thank you for listening. I mentioned we've been nominated for Best Political Podcast in the iHeart Podcast Awards. It'll be given out next month. I'm not going to win or anything, but you can vote. Just Google how to do it. I can't provide you with a link. This is audio. Countdown musical directors Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel arranged, produced, and performed most of our music. Mr. Ray was on guitars, bass, and drums. Mr. Chanel handled orchestration and keyboards. Whole mess was produced by TKO Brothers. Other music, including some of the Beethoven compositions, arranged and performed by No Horns Allowed. Sports music is the Olbermann theme from ESPN2, written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Inc. Our satirical and pithy musical comments are by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was my friend Kenny Main. Everything else was pretty much my fault. That's Countdown for this, the 267th day. 
until the 2024 U.S. presidential election, 1,132nd day since Dementia J. Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Use the 14th Amendment, the Insurrection Act, the justice system, the mental health system, and your nearest neighborhood war games to stop him from doing it again while we still can. The next scheduled countdown is tomorrow, although I wouldn't bet on it. I'm sick as anything, hoping you did not hear that till now, because as I once heard the great Getty Lee say, I'm a professional, eh? Bulletins as the news warrants, or whenever my voice comes back. Till then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month no matter what kind of entertainment you love addicted to true crime catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on a e crime central crave adventure explore asian action movies on hayah searching for something extreme check out skating snowboarding and more on fuel tv plus the global home of action sports and find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's hit nation playlist there's new free shows and movies to love every week say free this week in your xfinity voice remote